It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon and welcome back to Talent Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in here today, whether you happen to be coming in live or maybe you're listening after the fact on our podcast. We really appreciate you being here. And we have, oh, well, I have two fantastic guests lined up. They're going to help us uh, talk through all of our leadership, management, uh, you know, sort of talent-related questions and issues, and really hopefully point us in the right direction on what we should be thinking about for the rest of this year and beyond. Uh, so many of our guests have provided to us this fantastic stories around what we should be thinking about, how we can overcome adversity, how we might pivot and find a new business, or maybe just, uh, you know, find, find what we really love to do. Um, a lot of those stories are in my first, first book called The Power of Company Culture. So if you're looking for your next read, I would love to have you check that out. You can find it wherever you buy your books online. And um, certainly would love to have you uh, go to talenttalkradio.com and subscribe there or wherever you find your podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, iHeartRadio, we're everywhere. There's no excuse not to know when the next episode is up and ready, but you got to go subscribe so that, you know, technology can do all the work for you and you can just be lazy and then have it pop up there on your phone uh, like I do. So um, anyways, uh, we also love to uh, kind of live tweet all the best lines, all the best comments, maybe links to books and profiles. And we do that all on Twitter. So uh, go to at people G2, follow that uh, account or follow the hashtag talent talk. And uh, my social media guru, Angela is there actively putting our best little bits of uh, information there live. And even if you aren't listening live, you can go back to it. You can look at it. You can comment. You can ask questions to myself or the guests. Um, We love to keep the conversation going and some of our best interactions with with you, the audience have happened there. So thank you so much for that. All right, let's go ahead and get to my who my guests are today. My my first guest today is Keith Jackson. He's the managing partner of, and I'm not sure if it's ETEC or if it's ETEC, but I'm going to assume it's ETEC, but we'll find out here. My ETEC e- is fine. ETEC Consulting Group. There we go. And then uh, my second guest after the commercial break will be Mark Ensign. Ensign, excuse me, Mark Ensign, uh, the big cheese at Loudmouth. So um, let's go ahead and get started with Keith. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. So maybe tell everyone how you're doing today, where you're calling in from, and what's important for us to know about you and your work for, as it relates to our conversation today. I'm calling in from Southern California, from the Inland Empire, the city called Ontario. Not too far from me. That's great. Great. 
And I think the way this really relates to the conversation is the fact in my business, we are management consultants for the largest fully integrated multinational oil and chemical companies. So historically, we've worked with them in person, consulting at their facilities to help them, what I'd like to say, keep them from blowing up the world. <laughs> so in the COVID-19 COVID era, a lot of that has been put on hold, although a lot of the work we do for them are regulatory. So we've had to come up with unique ways to still perform the functions to help them to uh, continue to operate safely. Well, that sounds like some really important work that not only crosses over from compliance to people to, you know, I, I don't know, it, it, it sounds like a fun challenge and maybe a little scary at the same time. So how, how did you get involved in this? How did you, you know, land in a position where you're helping us not get blown up? My background is engineering. I have a bachelor's and master's in engineering from University of Illinois and an MBA in statistics and finance. So I am truly, truly a nerd. <laughs> so my first job out of college was working for a large oil company, Amico Corporation, which is no longer there. So I worked my way through the organization and ultimately landed in a position in process safety and risk management. So I know you've been involved with a number of international projects as well. And, you know, over the years on, on four continents, which is quite impressive to, to been worked in so many different places. Uh, it's certainly a goal of mine to, to live somewhere else for a few years and here you've done it already on four continents. So that's really impressive. <laughs> what are some of the, the countries that you worked in uh, that kind of started some of your travel adventures there? I started really in the early 90s on a project when I was with Amico in Milford Haven, Wales. It was quite interesting. And I was in the audit department at the time. And that sort of piqued my curiosity. But since then, I've done work in Canada, six projects in China, three in Japan, Costa Rica, Indonesia, Italy, Malaysia, the Philippines, so wherever. I just love to go and see how other people live. Well, it, it sounds, I mean, for some people, they might be worried about that. To me, that sounds like a really fun adventure. So, yes. you know, ha have there been some really distinct challenges or distinct differences that you noticed or had to overcome as it relates to working in completely different cultures and different continents and different contexts? Yes, there are significant cultural challenges. And since we are very isolated here in the United States, oftentimes we don't fully appreciate what's going on, especially when visitors from some of those cultures come to our shores. One, I spent time in Indonesia, in their capital city, Jakarta, and a city called Merak, where the project was. Indonesia is the largest Islamic Republic in the world hmm. with over almost 300 million people. It's, it's, it's huge. So being in a culture like that was really quite interesting. And some little things like it's an absolute insult to show the bottom of your shoes. So needless to say, in the office, you're not going to you're not going to 
fold your legs and show the bottom of your shoes. Oh, okay. Or, or even if you're engaging with a, a single female Muslim coworker, normally in the United States, we shake everyone's hands, but that's not exactly kosher, if you will. Right. Yeah. And that can really bring up, I mean, you have to try to figure out how to do your work how to, right. to bridge the language barrier, but then you start adding in customs, right? Whether those are religious mm-hmm. customs or they're just uh, country customs. Uh, uh, th- this is probably something uh, far, far less uh, difficult to deal with. But when I was in Russia, I kept trying to shake people's hands across their doorway. They would open their door and you reach your hand out to shake or in some regards to hug. And it's just sort of an old custom never to greet across the foot of the door, right? You needed to be in, come in the house or come out of the house. And then it was okay to do your greeting, but it was an old sort of bad luck wives tale kind of a thing, right? That and, and, and they could see the terror in their eyes when I'm trying to shake their hand across the door and they didn't want to insult me. And at the same time, they didn't want bad luck. Right. It was like, right. You know, if you believe that walking under a, a, a ladder was going to cause you cause you seven years bad luck and here everyone's walking under the ladder. You kind of would freak mm-hmm. out a little bit. So yeah, I, I certainly understand some of those fun uh, oh, yeah. or not so fun challenges at times when we forget, uh, mm-hmm. you know, things, things don't always work the same way we're used to. Oh, exactly. How long were you in Russia and what city were you in? So I went to Russia five times over an 11 month oh. period, uh, flying into Moscow uh, first and then making our way down into the uh, Golden Circle area to a town called Vladimir, and then be, just beyond that to Suzdale. So my wife and I adopted three children from that area oh. over 11-month period. So we got to be very good friends with some people there, our translator, uh, and and had lots of official business all around the, the area. And so, you know, I got to see the differences. Um, I think one of the biggest differences that I noticed that I, I talk about a lot in my uh, when I give a, a talks to people, it, I noticed that um, they would do business first, and business mm-hmm. was very direct and very confrontational. Now, of course, I'm observing this through uh, my own lens because I can't understand what they're saying, but I was watching two people like almost having nearly coming to blows, arguing about something, and then they stopped. And they were no longer talking about business. And then they start talking about their kids and they're happy and they're, and they kiss each other goodbye. And I remember that first time that happened, my translator came back and said, what in the world just happened? She goes, what do you mean? I go, you two were going to kill each other. And then all of a sudden you're kissing goodbye. She goes, oh no, that's just how it is in Russia. We were talking business and then we were talking personal. And it was like, in America, it's personal first, right? We have all mm-hmm. this Let's talk mm-hmm. about all the nice, easy things. And maybe we'll finally have the guts to have the hard conversation at the end. Mm-hmm. And that is the opposite. So anyway, so I, I sounds like you've had some uh, experience there. Yes. And, you know, and, and that's that's quite interesting because a culture like Japan, where you, you were pointing out in the United States, we try to form a relationship first. Mm-hmm. But in Japan, it's that to the nth degree we from the West come over to Japan and we believe we're going to do business at least that day. Yeah. (laughs) But it might be several dinners, you know, going out, meeting people before you even start with the business. So I didn't know that about Russia. So that's very, very interesting. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's business first, man. And you, you get that out of the way, which I, you know, is yeah. fine and a little bit refreshing, but you know, yeah. all of the, all that kind of goes away. So all the dramatics is probably extra. <laughs> yeah. And I guess it leaves you time now that that's out of the way. You really can connect on a personal level and you mm-hmm. really can. And that feels more genuine. Whereas, you know, sometimes people come up to you and they're chit-chatting and you know, they don't really care how your day right. was. They're not really asking how you are. They're just being polite till they get to the thing they want to get to. And um, I, I guess there's a lesson there, I think, in different cultures. So mm-hmm. um, I found that easier to deal with than when I was in Japan. You're right. The, lo- the very long courting right. process. It was like, right. Are, don't we trust each other yet? Can we get there? Right. How many more days? No, no sorry. <laughs> how many more beers? How many more, you know, how many more things do we have to do until, yeah, you now we can talk yes. business and, and yes, meet it. So, yeah. So you, I know you spent two years in Venezuela as well with mm-hmm. your team uh, of four uh, on a bit of a collaboration with a major U.S. oil company and National Oil of uh, Venezuela. So when you work overseas for a long period of time, how do you select the team to work with? How do you deal with those challenges and talent issues? The team is everything, especially on a project like that. So just a little bit of background about that project. In the, in the early 90s, Venezuela found a very, very significant crude oil find um, in what they call the Orinoco Belt. Mm -hmm. So consequently, all the major companies worldwide flooded into Venezuela to try to process this crude and upgrade the crude because it was what we call sour. It had a high sulfur content, so it had to be processed. But the challenge on that project we had U.S., uh, Venezuelan, and Argentinian engineering companies. We had equipment suppliers from Germany, South Korea. So it was the United Nations right. for sure. So the team is critical in a situation like that. You know, you have to have a team that's accustomed to working in a multi multicultural environment, and are conscious of the differences in the cultures. So we're not constantly offending people that impact the effectiveness of the work. So that that's the big thing I look for, people who can work effectively with people of all cultures, race, races, sexes, and everything, just to ensure that the project flows efficiently. Now, did you typically have to communicate on a common language and using English or was that sort of force you into, you know, having to learn other languages? I mean, beyond asking, you know, for a beer or where the bathroom is. (laughs) English is the language we use for a lot of reasons. You know, it's, it's a, it's an international language of business. Right. And so often times I would have a translator, but an interesting story in Venezuela, my, assistant who was a chemical engineer. She was a, a Mexican national. So she worked with me for probably the first six months. And it, it was so crazy because like what you were sort of describing with the Russians, um, in the risk assessments that I facilitate, there might be 20, 25, 30 people in the room. So you have people representing all these entities speaking their own language within themselves. So you you almost hear fights breaking out. And then at the end of this 20 minutes litany, they say, oh, it's okay. 
uh, I need more than it's okay <laughs> to talk to document these regulatory required yeah. records. So yeah. can you at least tell me some of the discussion? So that was incredible. <laughs> but I remember the, the biggest thing was Laura Gailey was her name. And she told me after the second day that Keith, I don't know what the heck they're saying. I said, um, aren't you speaking Spanish? <laughs> so that just emphasized the differences uh, for me within the subcultures that Mexican mm -hmm. Spanish is different than South American Spanish is different than Puerto Rican Spanish. It's different than what they speak in Spain. Right. So that yeah. just added another thing. Right. Right. Yeah. Of course, Portugal is Portuguese and uh, oh, Brazil exactly. is, it's totally Brazil different, is Portuguese. Different language. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, I learned uh, Spanish in school, but I learned Spain Spanish. Uh, and okay. so when I go to Spain and I hear people talk, I actually start to remember and I'm a little bit better because the way mm -hmm. they're articulating it and talking is actually more how I learned it. Then if I go yeah. to Mexico, it's very different. Like, what is this? Yeah. You know, and I, I can hey, get different by. speeds, different speeds. It's a little more sing songing. It's a little more, you know, it's a little different Yeah. And than, than, than what I was used to. And so, of course, I can do the basics, but I mean, you can't really have a conversation if you right. don't have a deeper understanding. So that's really fascinating. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're sort of in this world of lots of different things happening and you have to document that uh, mm -hmm. to be able to, to understand that. I, I remember in many regards in business situations where they would talk for, I would say something very simple. Can you translate this? Yeah. And there would be an eight minute exchange. And I go, and then would come back to me and say, okay, the answer is yes. And I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Um, I mean, all that context, all that back and forth. Right, exactly. What do you mean? Yes, sir. I mean, I, uh, come yes. on. I need to understand what just happened. You know, they would look at me mm -hmm. almost puzzled. Like, you really want to go over this again? You know, right? Exactly. <laughs> yes, I really need to know what just happened so I have a better understanding of how to ask exactly. the next question. <laughs> because your position is, they said a little more than yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> There's a little yeah. bit of back and forth there. Uh, one thing that has worked well for me, and I've, I've uh, had to 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 kind of learn this over time is to make sure to ask your translator, please don't add anything right. or subtract anything because right. you're concerned about how it may come across. If you are concerned that I've said something inappropriate or in the wrong way, yeah, tell me, tell me. Exactly. don't change my question that I don't, now mm -hmm. I don't know you changed it. So the answer now is different than what I think is right. coming back. Exactly. I found that it would be very long, simple question can you tell them to do this? And there would be a 15 minute back and forth in Russian. And they would come back to me and say, mm -hmm. okay, it's done. And I'm like, and I, I realized you're, they're adding on, they're right. giving context there. And, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm now a loss for that. And that, so when we simplified their job and they were trying to do a good job for me, I yeah. simplified what I wanted from them. That's, it's good communication, right? With any person you're working with. Um, I had better results because they weren't, adding on their own version mm -hmm. of what they thought I was saying. What um, helped us a lot on a lot of our projects is that the managers and leaders, no matter where I was in the world, for the most part, understand, understood at least cursory English. Hmm. But it was the people working in the front line, either the operating people, the um, mechanical technicians or the electrical technicians, and we needed their input because we were assessing the safety of the operations and they're the ones who are touching the equipment, the electronics day in and day out. Right. So when I, 
ask you a sort of a roundabout weird question. So hopefully it doesn't come out in a way that you will take offense mm-hmm. to, but you, you categorize yourself as a, as a nerd earlier on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's certainly your background mm-hmm. in engineering and everything is certainly very technical. And I don't find there's a lot of people who fit that structure that also want to be in a leadership position or in a position to be communicating right across different languages and different cultures. So what for you, where did that come from, right? Where you're, you're not sort of, you seem to have your, your head in two worlds, right? From the technical and in this sort of people world as well. It's very interesting. It's a long story, but the short of it, I used to stutter as a child. So my mother would put me in every opportunity for me to speak in public. Wow. In in middle school, our school used to put on Gilbert and Sullivan uh, productions. <laughs> my eighth grade year, I took a, a major role, a singing part, which was like, I thought I was going to die, literally. <laughs> but that sort of started me off in appreciating the importance of public speaking. Right. So when I, when I graduated from middle school, I was a class officer and spoke in front of about 200 people. By this time, my stuttering has gotten way better. And in high school, I attended one of the largest high schools in America at the time, over 5,000 students. And I was a class officer and I spoke in front of about 2,500 people. So I started my journey very early on understanding the importance of effective communications in being a good leader, a good business owner, and even a good employee. Well, that's a, it's a fascinating answer. And I really, really appreciate you, uh, uh, you know, so give us that context. It was so many times on this show that people have pointed back to their parents, to their grandparents or someone Mm -hmm. early on in their life, sort of setting a direction for them. And I, maybe your, your mom had no foresight to know where that might take you, but you know, for you to have a, such a technical mind, but her to, to, to give you that exposure then kind of gave you a whole new set of, of tools to take into the, into the world. So yes. um, I, I want to make sure we ask you our, our last two favorite questions. And the first one is, is, mm-hmm. is there a book that you're reading right now that you might share with us? One of my favorite books of all times, and I just keep on reading it and reading it. One is the Bible. Two is the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Mm. I learn from that every day. Oh, that's great. And that sort of creates my mindset about leadership. And we'll put that uh, book out on Twitter on our, in case you need to, to find it and I need uh, access to that. Um, I'm, if you want to read the Bible, I'm sure you know where to find one of those. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and the last question is, is, how can people find out more about you or reach you, especially if they need help not blowing themselves up in a uh, uh, oil-related, uh, gas and oil-related situation. Well, what's the best way for them to find out more about you? Uh, people can find me on LinkedIn, and I believe you all have the LinkedIn, just Keith Keith Jackson, or you can go to my website, etechconsulting.com. And you might want to go to etech or type in Keith Jackson, etech, because there might be a few Keith Jacksons on LinkedIn. There are a plethora of Ke- yeah. Keith Jacksons. <laughs> All right. Well, Keith, thank you so much for being our, our guest today on the show. Brought in some great insights, and I love talking to you about all the travels and, and your great work. So yes. thank you. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. 
All right, we'll be right back after this quick commercial break and we'll bring in our next guest, uh, Mark Ensign. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my first guest, Keith Jackson, we will have his, uh, his interview as well as the one coming up here up on our podcast. You can find that on Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes. You can go to TalentTalkRadio.com. But wherever you go, make sure you subscribe so that the uh, the bots, the, the computers can do their work and keep us from having to worry about it and just pop up and let you know when there's a new episode. Um, that way you don't miss one. So really excited to bring in uh, my next guest, uh, Mark Inson. He is, and I love this title, The Big Cheese at Loudmouse. So I love the play on words there. Um, and don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter as well, all the best topics, all the best one-liners, quotes, and links to anything we talk about here during the interview will be at, at PeopleG2 on Twitter or follow that hashtag Talent Talk. But uh, Mark, let's go ahead and bring you in. Welcome to the show today. Hey, Chris. How you doing? It's great to see you. Great, great. So why don't you tell everyone about yourself, the work that you're doing, and what's important for us to know about you and our for our conversation today? Sure. Uh, let's see. So I own a personal branding agency, and um, we work with mostly with entrepreneurs and, and small to medium-sized businesses. And uh, usually we work with those who, who feel they're in either a very competitive market or they're trying to sell a commoditized uh, product or service, and they're just looking to stand out from everybody else in their industry. Which is really hard to do in a commoditized market. I mean, it's... Uh... Yeah. You know, I think it was Elon Musk who said, you know, it's like if you go into a really competitive market, you can't just be a little bit better than than the best. You know, you're the biggest players in the industry. You have to be remarkably better or remarkably more noticed. You have to do something pretty gigantic because uh, people will just pick the biggest brand, right? I mean, why why go to the little hole-in-the-wall drive-through when you could go to McDonald's or you can go to Burger King or whatever it may be? The people. So I'm sure that sounds like a, a fun challenge, but a challenge nonetheless to, to help your clients. Absolutely. You know, nobody, nobody goes to, uh, nobody makes a, a special trip to the store to buy RC Cola. Uh, right. You know, they're, <laughs> they're all there to buy Coke. <laughs> so you work with these companies and these hyper-competitive and commoditized markets uh, to really differentiate themselves. So what, with that in mind, should leaders of, of organizations concern themselves with their personal brand? I mean, do you, do, you, do you think the average leader should be thinking about that? Or is this something reserved for the business owner or the CEO? Sure. So uh, at its at its face value, there's really not anything. There's nothing out there that's really that incredibly original. Like we all have competitors. Uh, you know, if you're an accountant, there's you know you could throw a rock and you can hit a 
you know, does other accounts. If you, you know, if you're selling a widget, there's a million other people that are selling the same widget that are, you know, as good or better. Um, the, really, the only thing that you can't compete against is the actual people. If you have really good people, people that are positioned as experts in their industry, people that really stand out, people that have, uh, uh, you, you know, a fantastic personality, or they're they're uh, they're out, you know, in, in the forefront of the industry, leading the industry. That's something that that's incredibly difficult to compete against, uh, almost impossible, because you can't compare. It's comparing apples to oranges, um, you know, when you're trying to compare people and personality and all that other stuff. Um, and so when, uh, you know, when you look at a company, whether big, small, um, you know, you, you look at some of the most successful companies in the world and there's always like a face behind it. Uh, there was the, there's that Steve jobs or the Elon Musk or the Oprah Winfrey or the Tony Robbins, or, you know, I mean, there's, there's that face behind it that, um, that we're really buying, uh, because, you know, it's like that idea that, that, you know, we do business with those we know, like, and trust. Um, well, you know, it's it's that we're doing business with those we, like the people we know, like and trust. Not necessarily the logos we know, like and trust, or the color schemes that we know, like and trust. It really is the people that we gravitate towards and and fall in love with. And and if you can get the people on your team, whether it's the you know CEO or the head of marketing or even your sales team or you know or your customer service representatives, and position them in such a way where they have a solid message and they have a personal brand. Um, it will stand up your company uh, much more so than um, you know investing in a new color scheme or, or you know new new set of fonts or whatever it is that that you know you you want to do for the company. So you know I noticed that a lot of CEOs kind of fall into one of two categories, and there may be some exceptions, but either tend to have their kind of head in the in the in the spreadsheet in the finances, right? They're they're a numbers person, or they have a real connection to sales, right? They are a person who is out, they might be the business development person. They might be the, the, like you said, the face of the company and they're kind of out there. And so, you know, is, is, is the personal branding more for that person who's kind of out there on the sales perspective, or do you still sort of really think people, even if they have more of a financial mind and they're, they're less likely to be out there on, on sales calls or bringing in work, should they still be sort of doing that because they are the experts and they are the person who has that real value to, to the client in the end? Um, I think it's I think it's important for everybody, especially within leadership of the company, because uh, when you know if if you're the numbers guy and you have your face buried in the spreadsheet and you're not really making public appearances, you know. But I do a search of your name, and um, you know you're notorious for stealing from companies. Like that does that doesn't bode well for the, for the company. So uh, you know you really have to control the conversation of what's going on. Uh, you know what people are finding about you, even if you're not you know, that forward-facing uh, person. Um, now, you can, uh, um, you know, it, it's like an offense-defense kind of thing. So when you have somebody like that that's buried in the books, it might just be a defensive role in terms of, hey, let's make sure that when somebody searches for this this person, you know, we know what they're finding, that they're finding stuff that really speaks to the company values, that the messaging is right, and, uh, and, and, and all that stuff is in place. So, like, there's nothing that's that's embarrassing for the company or nothing that that misrepresents the company or maybe some of their past that they don't want to show like that doesn't exist. Um, and then on the other hand, when you have somebody who is very, um, who's really that outgoing person within the company, they're, mm-hmm. they're more of that, uh, you know, industry expert that wants to get up on stage and speak, or they want to write the book on whatever it is that, that, you know, you specialize in or, um, or, or they want to be in front of the clients. 
then that's a much deeper, more uh, you know, offense uh, type of personal brand where you're um, we're considering, you know, what's your look? What you know, what is it that you stand for? What's some of the what's some of the languaging and the words that you use? And how do we want to present yourself? Maybe there's a, a website or a landing page, or maybe you're blogging or putting a lot of content out there. Maybe you're very active on social media. Like so, we'll look at we'll look at that as well. Like, how do we want to position you as kind of this uh, this person that's going to represent the company? So, you know, let's just say you're, you are someone who, who needs a little bit of help. Maybe you're somebody who, this isn't a natural thing for you. Um, you know, are there maybe like three key things they should really think about focusing on that are really important for a personal brand? Yeah. Well, w- whenever we're, we're kind of working with somebody or looking at somebody, we kind of put everything, put everything into one of three categories. Uh, there is, uh, first is your identity and, and that's, um, you know, what do you stand for? What is your, you know, kind of that mission, vision? Who is it that you're here to help? How do you serve them in a way that that's different from everybody else? Like all of that, um, that languaging, messaging type stuff that um, kind of sets the tone for who you are. Uh, this is the most frequently skipped over thing because it's not a lot of fun. And, uh, and, and you know, we all want to go right to the pretty stuff, which is uh, kind of that second bucket. And that second bucket is your visibility. Um, how do we communicate everything that you are, who you're for, and uh, and everything that you do into stuff like you know website or fonts or uh, logos or social media? Like like how do we how are we going to commu- communicate all that? This is why that that first part identity identity is so important is because if we don't do that, we don't really know how to communicate it, and that's why you have you'll see like a lot of websites and company websites as well with very mixed messages or very um, uh, incoherent. Uh, um, you know, speak on them that 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 doesn't really connect with um, the company, or there's just a disconnect. And um, and then uh, then the last piece is is your authority, uh, and that's positioning yourself as that as that undeniable expert, that go-to expert within your industry. If I have a question about whatever it is that you do or your company does, um, who's going to be the one that's going to educate me on on or answer that question for me? The more often that, you know, someone within that company has the answer, whether it's on TV or on the radio or in magazines or on blogs or on interviews and podcasts, uh, the better uh, because they seem more credible. They seem they're out there. People are asking them questions. It positions them in a space of authority. So it's that identity, visibility and authority uh, combination that really kind of makes that brand, um, uh, you know, speak to people, you know, because then. We know who you are, what you stand for. We are able to find you and, and you're able to communicate with us in a way that we can find, read, understand, and digest. And then, uh, and then we see everything that you're doing. We see that you're clearly an expert within your space. That's really important. Um, you know, you talked about conflicting messages and you can have conflicting messages on your website. I think you can have a conflicting message between your brand and maybe how you are as a leader inside the organization, right? So how do you kind of marry those two things so that you're being authentic in a way that, you know, can reach your clients and your potential clients, but also still resonates with your people that you're leading? Um, well, there, there's got to be consistency. Uh, so there there has to be a connection. Like, like the, the thing with branding is branding isn't a way to kind of cover up, uh, you, you know, who you really are. It's, it's a way to uh, showcase who you are, uh, but being able to control that conversation. Um, so it, you, you can't have this bright and shiny, polished 
uh, brand out in the real world and then show up at, at, the, at the job and uh, be, you know, be horrible to people. Um, and because there's now a disconnect and that builds resentment within your team that, ha- you know, people are not willing to fight for you. Uh, they don't want to listen to you. You know, like if he lies about this, what else does he lie about? There becomes a disconnect in, in who you are as a leader uh, based on, you know, what you're actually putting out there. Um, and, and that creates a, a lot of problem within, you know, within the company because uh, of that disconnect. Uh, versus if, um, you know, if, if you're a strong leader and innovator, and it doesn't mean that you have to run around uh, being super nice and, and not, you know, and not being a leader, like not, not being aggressive with how you're going to grow the company or whatever. But, um, you know, but, uh, but to take all that and then, and then communicate that out into the world in a way that is, um, that benefits you, benefits the company. It shows who you really are. It's authentic. It's vulnerable. Um, like that's really all the stuff that that makes branding uh, real. Because, you know, if I'm working for some with with someone or or under someone or want wanting to work with under someone, um, and I do a search for who they are and that lines up with who I see them, uh, who they are at the office, it it just it just adds to the credibility of of the company and adds to the credibility of them as a leader, and it makes me really want to fight for that team. <laughs> well, and you bring up a good point that. Um, branding can also have such a huge impact on maybe your next job, right? Or your, your, uh, next engagement things that maybe you hadn't thought about. Maybe you want to put a brand out there because you're trying to get more clients, but you may not be in that job forever. You may not own that company forever. You may not, you know, be in that same position. So branding can have so many other, uh, sort of applications. Um, I, I noticed when we've paid attention to that for me, like, other things have happened that I just never would have expected, right? Where people start asking you to comment on things or to be a part of things because, right, you're now kind of being seen in a different light. You know, one thing that I imagine you have to to, to think about and to work with your clients on is, is this idea of uh, imposter syndrome, right? Because I think it's really easy to say, we're going to put this brand out. We want you to say these words. We want you to really focus on these things and not those things. And it, for people, I think it takes, can take them a little time to feel authentic about that, even if they, it is all truthful, but it's just a different way for them to think about themselves. Do you run into that as a challenge? And is it something you have to kind of help coach them through? Sure. Uh, yeah, of, of course. Um, in, in fact, uh, anybody that doesn't show up on my front door with at least a little bit, feeling like at least a little bit of being a fraud, uh, is probably someone who is an absolute fraud. <laughs> <laughs> like I think, I think the people that um, you know uh, that don't have a little bit of that fear um, are people that are hiding something. Like I, I think I don't care who you are. There's always a little hint of of being a little fraudish, as you know, like like there's a little bit of insecurity about it. There's a which is why I think with branding, it's such a great opportunity to showcase um, some of that vulnerability, so showcase some of that authenticity. Um, because the truth is that the second that we realize that you're not perfect, uh, we love you even more because you're human. You're one of us. You've made a mistake. You owned something. You you owned up to something. You know it's it's uh, it, it's so valuable to um, uh, you know to to be able to see somebody like an Elon Musk or an Oprah Winfrey or you know, whoever it is as a human being. Um, it's so valuable for their brand and for, for our connection to them. Uh, and, and, uh, and so when they do have those human moments, we buy into it. We're, you know, it's not like we're sitting around going, ah, Oprah's a fraud because she made a mistake. 
Like we're like, thank God she made a mistake. Now we know that she's not perfect. And, uh, you know, and, and the same is true for CEOs of the company. When a CEO is able to, you know, show up at a meeting and say, hey, guys, you know what? I really screwed this one up and here's what happened and here's what I thought and here's what I did. And, uh, and I want to apologize to you guys for, for uh, having you know, made a wrong turn here. But here's what we're going to do to fix it. And like you own it up to it instead of blaming everybody else in the room. You, know, you will have people that, that will just embrace that leader so much more. Uh, and same thing with employees. It's it's usually when your team, when members of your team are uh, you know they made a mistake and they try to hide it or they try to blame somebody else. They get defensive. They get weird about it. It's, it's really those who just say, okay, here's what happened. What do we do about it? Let's you know let's let's dig in. Let's see if we got, I got some ideas on how we can fix it. And then you jump. So you know I, I think one of the things I noticed about people that are getting vulnerability right and that are kind of able to use to your point, that to, to somewhat of a success, right? That, hey, I made a mistake. Hey, I, I'm going to own up to it. But is it still generally, they're doing a pretty good job. They're, they're pretty kick butt. They're pretty much a rock star, but they're doing a good job. But then they're trying new things and they're stretching themselves and they're trying to learn something new. And then when they reach that, oh, that didn't work, or geez, I really messed that up. Then they can go back and be vulnerable and say, here's what I learned and here's what happened, um, which I think the reason I'm being kind of clarifying this is I have seen other people that just walk around and tell everyone all the stupid things they did all day <laughs> and don't ever seem to fix it. Right. And they don't ever seem to learn from it. And they call themselves being vulnerable. And it's like, you're not being vulnerable. You just need, you need a freaking therapist and like, you know, go stop just complaining and telling everyone how horrible you are. Like you have to bring value, right. To, to be sure. able, I think to, to leverage that, Hey, I, I, I'm, I, I make mistakes too. And we all can learn from them. Am I getting that right? Or have I missed something there? Yeah. Obviously if, if uh, you know, if you're running around, you know, running the company into the ground and, and just, you know, oopsies uh, like that's right. like, that can only last for so long. Like, like there, yeah. there is a scorecard in terms of, <laughs> you know, like, like uh, Elon Musk makes a mistake. I think we'll forgive him. Like we all know he's working, you know, he's putting right. in the effort. Um, and, and so, uh, there, there are levels of forgiveness based on, on past effort and history and everything else. And, and, and also, uh, you know, it depends on, on the type of mistake. So, you know, if your goal is to like, Hey, look, we're, I'm going to get us to, you know, from 1 million to 10 million, uh, you know, this year and, um, and you only make it to seven, uh, because you made a couple of mistakes, you know, when, but look what you did, you know? So, so that's not, not, not really necessarily a mistake. Uh, however, if you go like, you know, Hey, I'm going to get us from, you know, 10 million to a hundred million. And then you end up at 1 million. Um, that's a much different mistake. Yeah. Uh, so, so I, a lot of it I think is, is, you know, it's, it's, you're not just given like a, Hey, if you just, uh, accept responsibility, all is going to be okay. There is a level of, you know, how much of your head and your heart did you put into this, whether that is vulnerability or just plain stupidity. Right. Right. And that's, that's the challenge. And uh, I think if you're out there trying to do your best and you're working hard at it, it should be pretty easy to, to let people in when it's the right time to let them in. Um, and if you, I find that's often if people can't be vulnerable, they can't let somebody in. It's because they weren't doing their best work because they didn't put their best effort forward. And they're now sort of hiding from that. And, right. uh, and that, and that can be hard. And that's what I was saying with, in terms of, of if you're a fraud, um, I mean, if you're not willing to admit that you're a little bit of a fraud sometimes or you're fraudish or, or just, you know, imposter syndrome or whatever you want to call it, I, I think that that's, that's where I think there is some, some uh, degree of truth to, you know, when you walk into a place like you own it and you're like, nope, I'm perfect. I got this thing. Never made a single mistake in my life. 
Like I'd be scared to death of hiring that person or, or right. working under that person. Right. Uh, I want somebody to come in and be like, you know, you know what? I don't know, but I'm willing to find out. Like that's the guy I want to, or the girl that I want to work mm-hmm. under, uh, because you know, like that's somebody who's who's willing to kind of uh, go through the experience and try to figure this out in real time. I want to make sure we have time to ask you our two favorite questions, and the first one is, what book are you reading right now, or that you typically suggest people check out? Well, right now I'm reading uh, New Rules of Marketing and PR. Uh, was that uh, Dave Mirman Scott? Uh, one of my, I think my second or third time probably reading that book it's just a it's just a great book in terms of you know for for an internet marketing branding type of uh of um you know messaging type of get in front of people kind of guy and and uh you know it's just it's just a very very good approach it's a very solid approach so i probably once every two or three years i always read that every time every now and then he has a new version of it come out so i usually read the new version um and uh and then there's a, a an amazing Donald Miller book that's my go-to. Like, there's very few books that I that I read more than once. That is one of them. Uh, the other one is Donald Miller book entitled um, uh, "A Million Miles in a Thousand Years," um, and it's before he went into like the whole story brand stuff. It's just such a great book in terms of finding your story and finding uh, like the meaning behind the stuff that you you know behind what you do. Uh, and so th- that was that was one of those first books that really got me into. At the time, I was running a marketing agency, uh, but but that book woke me up to this idea of you know really understanding where people are coming from and, and building a brand and a story around that you know those people and those companies. Uh, sound like uh, great selections, and I, again, we'll put them out on Twitter in case anyone didn't have the opportunity to write them down as he was talking. Uh, and final question before we go here today is how can people get a hold of you? How can they find out more about you and your business if they're interested in learning more? Sure. So uh, best place to go is probably uh, Loudmouse, which is, uh, that's that's the name of uh, my company. It's loudmouse.com. And it's it's uh, M-O-U-S-E, not M-O-U-T-H. So it's loudmouse.com. <laughs> so every now and then somebody, gets, <laughs> like either one I think makes a really good name for a branding company, but but. Uh, uh, Personally, uh, Loud Mouses, I think a little better. Fantastic. Well, we will uh, hopefully be able to have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the cool things you're doing. But I really appreciate you being here today, Mark, and sharing uh, with everyone. I think it's a really important topic on how how they're branded, how they're being seen out in the world. And uh, just really appreciate all your, uh, your thought and uh, comments today. Thanks a lot, Chris. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on today's show. Hopefully, you learned something you can use in your own career in a positive way. Until next time, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio brought to you by People G2. 